This is episode 180 of the Beyond the Food Show, and today it is the final part on holistic health, and we're going to talk about the emotional body in relationship to holistic health. And our guest expert today is Dr. Joanne Rosenberg. An amazing conversation. Ready? Let's do this. My name is Stephanie Dozier, clinical nutritionist, and my first diet was at 14 years old. And my last one, 38 years old. Here's what I now know. It's not about what we eat or how we eat or when we eat. It's about why we urge to eat. And the longer we hold on to the idea that thinness will bring us happiness and confidence, the further we get from that exact goal. The solution? Going beyond the food. Mindset over strategy. Ditching dieting. Eating intuitively and learning to accept our body as is today without having to lose anything. So how do we make peace with food in our body? As a top 25 alternative health podcast in the world, this is the Going to Beyond the Food Show. Ladies, welcome back to this final part of our deconstruction of holistic health. So in the prior three podcasts, we talked about the spiritual body. We talked about the physical body. We talked about the mental body. And today is all about the emotional body. And emotion are, and we'll talk more about that with our expert today, Dr. Joanne Rosenberg, but emotion are a bridge between our mental body and our physical body. It's how we interpret what we see in our environment. It's kind of a a radar. We see event people in our life. And then through our brain and our mindset and our perspective, we react to our environment and the way in which the brain takes this interpretation and then creates a reaction with your physical body is through your emotion. Now, this is a very important part of the forebody for us here in this community that uses food, exercise, extreme body image concern as a way of distracting ourselves from our emotion. And when we do that, when we distract ourselves from our emotion, we numb ourselves from our emotion, there is consequence to that in the other three body. And that's part, among many other things, as to how we develop symptoms and how we develop disease. And that's the whole concept of holistic health, right, is looking at those four different layer of the human, right, our physical body, our mental body, our emotional body, our spiritual body, what goes on in each one of those layer to bring balance back and help the body seek and focus on giving us a health that will allow us to fulfill our purpose. So this particular body is where the emotional body, where the going to beyond the food method started from. That's where I began 
my own journey in navigating through holistic health. I recognized that I was challenged with my emotion. And later on, I realized that was the exact same challenge that most women in my community and people that were seeking my help were struggling with. So we had a beautiful conversation today with a mentor of mine, someone that I met three years ago, and that has helped me tremendously understand the concept of emotion. And that's Dr. Joanne Rosenberg. She's a cutting edge psychologist. And she's an innovative tinker and an amazing teacher. She resides in California. She just released her book, her mastery book, 90 Seconds to a Life That You Love. And it's all about emotional mastery. So I invited her to come and close this chapter, this four-part series on holistic health and help us understand emotions, the role they play, and also how to master our emotion. So it's start with one choice, eight feelings in 90 seconds. So let's do this with Dr. Rosenberg. Welcome to the show, Dr. John. Thank you so much, Stephanie. I'm thrilled to be here with you. We've had Dr. Joan twice on the Going to Beyond the Food Project, but it is the first time we're having her here on the podcast. And it's an honor always to talk with her. She's somebody that I consider a mentor of mine and has a beautiful philosophy around emotion. And she's going to give us a lot of practical, implementable information today. But the first thing I want to ask Dr. Joan is for you in the context of holistic health, we have that last layer that we're talking about today, which is the emotional body. What does that mean for you or how do you interact with that? For me, it's emotions are really central. Actually, I think of emotions as being central to, to feeling alive. That when we numb out and we try to disconnect or distract from our feelings, that we actually miss an experience of aliveness. And if you look at what science talks about relative to that, emotion is considered both integrating integrated into our beingness, and it is also something that's considered to kind of integrate uh, many aspects of our experience. So it's a really a central feature of our beingness. And that's almost what makes us kind of unique or different from other species, right? We have feelings. We have feelings. Well, I think our capacity to think is that what most people talk about is the differentiating element. But yes, probably how the complexity of our emotions is is probably far greater than any other species on the planet. So when you look at feelings in the context of health or in the context mm-hmm. of experiencing life, what is the purpose of us having those feelings? You know, I, I think of three main reasons that feelings exist. And one is for the purpose of protection. And frankly, unpleasant feelings fit into that category. What people would call negative feelings, I don't call negative or bad feelings. I actually call them unpleasant ones. And those unpleasant feelings serve the first purpose, which is that of protection, protecting us from danger or protecting us from life threat. The other two reasons I think that feelings exist for us has to do with connection and creativity. 
So the connection is super important. And actually, and that also contributes to our sense of growth and well-being. It's been found to be instrumental in brain health. And so connecting with others through friendship or intimate relationship, et cetera, parenting, whatever bonds of connection we have. And then the third would be for creativity. So when we need protection, then the unpleasant feelings exist. And when we're safe, then the feelings are available for connection and creativity. And to kind of the series that you're doing around holistic health, it's also understanding that the way we approach our feelings, whether we, again, try to suppress them or we stay angry all the time or or are pessimistic, that actually depresses the immune function of our bodies and staying positive and optimistic and holding, you know, attitudes that actually promote resilience then help us actually build up our immune system. Emotions play a central role in so many different ways. So in terms of, again, going back to your initial question about the emotional body. As you're speaking, the image that comes to me is kind of a, a radar, right? Our emotion, a kind of a radar we use to go through life and to interact yes. with our environment. Yes. And it depends on how sciencey you want me to get, yeah. but there's a there's a concept called neuroception, which Dr. Stephen Porges first mentioned. And he talks about that as a subconscious system for detecting safety, danger, and life threat. So in a very basic kind of innate level that's already kind of built in for us, it's, it's just in the way a, uh, the hair on the back of a cat or the dog might flare or any other kind of animal for that matter, sensing danger. We also have kind of that system for detecting those things. Beautiful. You wrote, um, and you have a book that just launched a week ago now by now, the time we released this episode, and the title of it is 90 Seconds to a Life You Love. And as I was reading it, there's a quote that stood out to me that I'd like to have you expand on. Sure. And the quote is, the more capable you are to face the pain you experience, the more capable you become. Yes. So understand the book is drawn from actually more than 25 years, 30 to 40 years of being in this, 30 plus years of formally seeing people and 40 years in the field of psychology. And it comes out of tens of thousands of hours of clinical experience. And there's one thing that I noticed across, again, across decades of time, is that when someone had the ability to move towards things that were uncomfortable or unpleasant or difficult to handle, and more specifically, unpleasant feelings, and I talk about eight unpleasant feelings in the book, so it's really centered around just eight feelings. And when they knew that they could handle those eight feelings, they felt more capable in life. So what dawned on me is, again, and it was over and over and over. So what I realized, and I've come to believe, is that someone does not feel fully capable in life. Like They can do life. They can handle life more effectively, more comfortably, and also probably more positively until they have a sense that they can move towards pain and handle those eight unpleasant feelings. 
That is so representative of the work we do here in the Going to Beyond the Food Method because most people come to us for emotional eating at the beginning to only realize there's more underneath. But Mm -hmm. they are at a place where they've recognized that they don't want to feel certain things. And the tool that they've used is food and that kind of stopped the progression of the emotional wave. Sure, yes. And they're afraid of that emotion and they're using food to cope. Now, food is just one. I'm sure you've seen plenty other ways of coping in your practice. But when we cope, that's exactly what we don't do. We don't face our pain. Correct. Yes, absolutely true. I outlined probably 30 different distractions and ways for people to cope and not deal. And I think in chapter four, if I recall correctly, when I've worked and I've worked with individuals who struggled with a variety of eating related problems, whether it's emotional eating or more serious than I, I shouldn't say that, but they're equivalently serious is that food, weight and appearance are distractions from unpleasant feelings or unpleasant knowings. That's a very interesting perspective, because as we advance with society today, we're more and more everyday concerned with our body image Uh and our reflection of how we think we should look like. And we spend a lot of energy, both emotional, physical thinking and working towards that. Right. And it's true. It's taking us away from being within us, which is to feel our emotion. Right. In fact, I often say that when we get lost in worrying about what other people think of us or what we think other people think of us, or how they see us, that I actually think that that's a distraction from feeling vulnerable. So in the book, you outline an approach, because ultimately, if we want to have a better relationship with food in our body, we have to learn to, quote, deal with our emotion, right? Yes. And I'm sure there's a better terminology for that, but ride the wave of our emotion. I call it in my program, right? Learning to ride the wave. But you have a particular approach to help people learn to navigate their feeling. Can you expand on that a little bit? Absolutely. A a colleague affectionately called it the Rosenberg Reset. Yeah. So I uh, adopted that name. So the kind of the overall, we'll understand it as, as the Rosenberg Reset. And I think of it as a formula. And the formula is one choice, eight feelings, 90 seconds. And the one choice is a choice for awareness as opposed to avoidance. So the key here is that we're choosing into being as aware as we can and as in touch as we can with our moment-to-moment experiences. So we want to be aware and in touch with as much of our moment-to-moment experience as possible. That's the one choice. So we're choosing into awareness. The second has to do with the eight feelings. And again, The eight feelings are, and haven't stated them before, but the eight feelings are sadness, shame, helplessness, anger, vulnerability, embarrassment, disappointment, and frustration. You know, and a lot of people are going to go, well, what about inadequate or unworthy or undeserving or things like that? And those last three, I actually consider thoughts, not feelings. Because I think that we get caught in evaluating ourselves like undeserving, and I think that's an evaluation. So I, I kind of lump that into a thought category. And then the next question people often ask me is, well, why those eight? 
it's those eight because, again, over all these decades of experience, what I found is those are the most common feeling reactions or the most common feeling outcomes to things not turning out the way we need or the way we want. So we're choosing into awareness. We're going to handle eight unpleasant feelings. And again, notice they're unpleasant. They're not bad and they're not negative because they serve an important function in our life, that protective function I mentioned a little earlier. And then the third is the 90 seconds. So that's really the ride the wave part. Mm-hmm. And this is really for me, Stephanie, the whole key to the whole method and the key to being able to really tolerate our feelings. And that is that when a feeling fires off in our brain, there's a rush of biochemicals that flood through our bloodstream. And when those biochemicals are flooding our bloodstream, they activate bodily sensations. And those bodily sensations are the very experiences that help us know what we're feeling emotionally. So think of you're embarrassed about something and what you feel is your face flushing or the the heat in your face. You can almost feel like something, you know, floods right to your face or your chest, or you feel sad and maybe there's a sensation in the middle of your chest near where your heart is and it feels heavy. Or maybe disappointment feels not only that heaviness of the chest, but kind of a drop down sinking feeling on top of that. And it's not that we think the thing and we can think the thing and then we feel it. But more often than not, it's through this kind of immediate reaction or spontaneous reaction to life that we get that flood of biochemicals and then we experience the the sensation and in nanoseconds, our brain's filling it in and going, oh, I'm embarrassed, I'm sad, I'm this, I'm that. I'm angry. And so the beauty of this, there's three main points I want people to take from this. The first is, again, that we come to know what we're feeling through the bodily sensation. So it's the bodily sensation we want to be able to tolerate in order to stay present to our feelings and not run away from them. That's the first main point. I'll come back to it in a second. The second main point out of this is that we sort of feel it as a wave in our body. So what I want people to do is then to ride the wave of that emotion, ride the wave of those bodily sensations so that they can tolerate the feeling. So if they need to surf or canoe or you know boogie board or I don't <laughs> care how it's done, right? You just ride the wave. And then the third is to understand that, and this was an observation made by Dr. Jill Bolte-Taylor, who wrote a book called My Stroke of Insight. So it's not mine, it's a neuroscientist's observation that this flood of biochemicals rushes into the bloodstream and then flushes out of the bloodstream in roughly 90 seconds. So that is kind of tied to the title of the book. So the idea here is that if you can handle kind of experiencing and moving through that rush of biochemicals and those bodily sensations and ride the wave of that, then just know that in roughly 60 to 90 seconds, at best, it's going to dissipate out of your system. So that's the method. One choice, eight feelings, and then riding the waves of those one or more 90-second waves of bodily sensations. That is very powerful in simplicity, yet for 
a portion of the audience that listening to this right now who has not yet experienced the wave or is afraid of the wave and they're using food or body image distraction to not feel it. Is there something that we can do like you're saying, boogie board or surf or canoe, right. Right, right. <laughs> like to go through this experience with, is there a tool you recommend? We use mindfulness, but I'm not sure. What would you recommend? Well, again, the notion here is that you're choosing into awareness. I think there's, I would say, approach it from both a cognitive thing and you can actually talk to yourself. So I'll walk it through it. The first is to know that you're making an active choice to be aware and awake to what's going on for you as opposed to distract. So that's a thinking thing. It's like I'm making a decision to deal with this kind of once and for all and figure out how to do it. And I'm going to choose to be more aware and more awake to what's going on for me. And so that's the first thing. The second thing is I know that when I feel stuff, that it's going to come in the form of a bodily sensation that is so uncomfortable and I'm willing to tolerate that bodily sensation. So it, mentally, that's it's understood. For me, Stephanie, it was like puzzle pieces fitting together. Mm-hmm. And understands like this 90 seconds was a puzzle piece. And the bodily sensation was a puzzle piece. And then it's like, because I, I wrestled with this question for so long. It's like, why is it it's so difficult for most of us to tolerate unpleasant feelings? <laughs> and then when I started to learn the neuroscience, it was like, oh, my God, we feel feelings in our body. In some ways, it was revelatory to me. And then the second part of it, what dawned on me is that it wasn't that we didn't want to feel our range of emotional feelings. We didn't want to feel the bodily sensation that helped us know what those were. Amen. Yes. So the second second or third major thing somebody can do is go, it's just bodily sensations. That's the thing that makes feeling so uncomfortable for me. So I'm going to choose to hang in there with the bodily sensation. And then a third major thing, and I, since the book is now out to people and the method is you know, getting a much wider reach, people are saying to me that it's like, I'm just, I'm just going, it's 90 seconds. I can handle 90 seconds. Ride the wave. 90 seconds. Ride the wave. 90 seconds. So that they're kind of going back and forth and talking to themselves. Sometimes maybe it's out loud, maybe it's internally, but it's like, I can do this. And most people will say they can they can handle 90 seconds. So those would be some key things that I would suggest as kind of additional tools with the awareness of the approach. I love the talking to myself because it's really not just 90 seconds, right? So literally talking to yourself, you'll coach yourself through this wave of 90 seconds. Yes. I mean, God, there's so much more to talk about here. Yeah. It's also understanding that more times than not, your reaction isn't even going to last nearly that long. And and the second part is that you want to stay present to the feeling because I think that's when people start to gain insights. So there's like intuitive hits that we get or insights that come when we stay present to the feeling. But when we try to move away from it, we don't get the benefit of that. So let's talk about this. Let's explore the opposite. What happens when someone avoids or numbs out part or the entirety of that 90 seconds? Is there a side effect and consequence to that? 
Yes, I think so. I think there are short, very short-term ones, and I think there are long-term ones. Mm-hmm. And for me, I haven't provided the diagram in the book, but I drew a diagram 25-plus years ago, and it had two paths to it. One was the path of avoidance, and the other was the path of awareness. And it turns out over the years that what I've attached to that path of avoidance is what I call soulful depression. <laughs> and it's the depression of us disconnecting from ourselves that comes from disconnecting with ourselves. So I think that that's a long-term outcome. And it could be over even, certainly over months, but I would say over years of trying to stay disconnected and distracted from from our own beingness, the truth of who we are. So that's a long-term consequence of doing it. The short-term consequences are you're numbing your aliveness, your you're decreasing your capacity to kind of have an intuitive understanding of what's going on or the, some of those insights. In fact, Dr. Dan Siegel and, and probably others have called intuition the wisdom of the body. So if we cut off from that, then we're cutting off from our access to that. And what I'll also find is that people start to feel more anxious. They feel either less control, no control, or out of control, and they feel more vulnerable when they don't have access to the very feelings that are designed to protect, connect. Again, what I'm calling kind of designed for protection in particular, and then connection and creativity. So there's there's many short-term effects of disconnecting and distracting in the moment. That's exactly what we see in our students. Short term, people get caught in a diet cycle, right? Uh-huh. Yeah. In the loop, because they want more control. So they go to in the next diet and the more complicated diet. And it's a, an, an escalation of complication because they're seeking the control that they should really get within their emotional mastery. And that Correct. soulful depression is, is what happened to women when they get to get 45. I call it their second part of their life. Right. And there's, there's this deep awakening, like, oh, my God, the solution is within me. Yes. But we think it's outside of us, and it's not. The only way to develop, again, the, and the subtitle of the book has to do with developing confidence, resilience, and authenticity. And the only way that develops is understanding that growth comes from the inside out. Yeah, the only way is true. Yeah. So let's talk about confidence, because that's the second angle that we help women with, which is we teach body neutrality, right? The bridge between body shame and and body positivity, and it has to do with disability of emotional mastery, right? So you in the book talk about emotional strength being the base of confidence. Yes. Can you talk about that a little bit? Not sure, happily. So... Think of confidence as the deep sense that we can handle the emotional outcome of anything we pursue. Mm -hmm. And early in the book, I do something that I call redefining emotional strength. And there's two parts to it. And the first part I talk about is this whole notion of being capable, which I've kind of touched on. So that our sense of capability in life comes from being able to experience and move through these eight unpleasant feelings. So it's think of that as internal. Mm-hmm. I need to do that inside kind of for myself. I can be helped by other people, but you know, if they're talking to me about what I'm going through, that kind of thing, but it's an internal thing that we need to do. And then the one that's external 
is what I call resourcefulness. So we have capability and resourcefulness. And resourcefulness has to do with, if you will, kind of embracing the dependent side of our nature. It's feeling open and comfortable with the need for dependence and independence. So you're comfortable with, the, the idea here is that you're, you're comfortable with both doing things on your own and you're comfortable with being able to lean on others, that you're open to that experience. And the couple things I want to emphasize here is, and again, the focus here is really on the dependent side, is that yet it's both experiences. So it's not one or the other in life, us being totally dependent or us being totally dependent. It's actually both. And so it's a both and and not an either or. And I think that's really crucial for people to understand that that's, it's both the independence and the dependence that makes, if you will, a more enriched and more fulfilling life. And so if we're open and, and willing to embrace this dependent side of our nature, then what that does is help us acknowledge our needs and our limitations. Hmm. And then acknowledging our needs and limitations enables us to ask for help. So the beauty of understanding resourcefulness is this idea that asking for help falls squarely into an aspect of being emotionally strong. And I think that when people can do both, feel capable and be resourceful, then there's a real base of self-confidence and with the feeling part being the firmer part of that foundation. I have so many questions now. So let's, <laughs> so let's tie this in with body image yep. and self-confidence with our body. Uh-huh. How would you bring that in with what you just taught us around emotional strength, giving ourselves self-confidence? Well, again, I for me, in some ways I want to tease it away from the body. I don't want people to be attaching whether they're confident to their appearance. I think we do do that, but I'm going to circle us right back to the first most basic part of establishing confidence has to do with your willingness to experience and move through those eight unpleasant feelings. That's exactly where I was hoping you were going to go. <laughs> well, that was almost like a trick question. <laughs> That was, it's like, no, it's not attached to the body at all. For me, your experience of confidence, and you will experience yourself differently. I don't know if I can say the moment you start to shift to this, but certainly soon after you start to redirect your focus to experiencing and moving through those eight unpleasant feelings, you will have a different experience of yourself. That is because you're now accessing your more true nature. And I think that just it literally, it sort of changes us from the inside out. And then there's a few other things that I think contribute greatly to confidence. But my first thing is not attached to the body. Exactly. It's an inside job. Yes. And it's why people like me are in a bigger body in confidence. And people can be in a, what is categorized in society as a beautiful body and be totally incompetent. Right. Yes. It's an inside job. Totally. 100%. Yes. So let's go to another place, yes. which is very evident with our community, which is harsh self-criticism. Uh-huh. 
how does that play a role in this emotional strength that we are seeking so we can have this life of love, right? 90 seconds to a life that you love. Right. Well, a harsh self it's like, again, I, I was blessed with different kind of awarenesses. The harsh self-criticism piece is, is one of those. Harsh, I see, as much as people consider harsh self-criticism a problem, mm-hmm. and it is, I don't look at it as a problem. So that might sound a little bit contradictory, but I look at harsh self-criticism as a distraction. I think harsh self-criticism is a thought hijack of our unpleasant feelings. So the key to understanding this is that, and the way I look at it and the way I describe it in the book, is that with harsh self-criticism, we cannot control that we feel or what we feel. We can only modulate it or monitor it or handle it, if you will, manage it, all these different words we can use for it, once those feelings are in our conscious awareness. So we don't control that we feel or what we feel. <laughs> we do, however, have some control over how and what we think. And what dawned on me around this harsh self-criticism is that And I mentioned it earlier, if we start to say words like undeserving or unworthy or inadequate, if you stop and think about those words, they're evaluations. I'm judging myself in some given way. So anytime I start talking trash to myself or talking smack to myself and beating myself up, then that I'm thought hijacking what probably preceded it which would be some kind of an unpleasant, predominantly an unpleasant feeling. Could also be an unpleasant knowing, but predominantly an unpleasant feeling. And so what I I want people to understand is that the moment they learn this, they can actually stop it. Because all you have to do is to kind of reverse course once you become aware that you're engaging in that negative self-talk and that harsh self-criticism. You use the fact that you're doing that and your awareness of the fact that you're doing it as a way to signal that you're trying to move away from some unpleasant feeling. And then the task is to go back and understand what feeling it was that you were trying to move, feeling or feelings that you were trying to move away from, and perhaps digging even further why you were trying to move away from them. So it's think of harsh self-criticism or negative self-talk as a thought hijack and a distraction from unpleasant feelings. And it's all described in the book. It's a lengthier section in the book because it's so important. And it's just, for me, it was, again, one of those turning points. It is essential for people that are listening to this, that are recognizing to go get the book. Because emotional mastery, this concept of our self-criticism is all method that we've implemented in our life to run away from our feeling. We call it self-sabotage. Right. But this constant need to, in our case, to go on the next diet and to restrict and to punish ourselves through over-exercising is, again, just running away. Right. Right. Yep. And... I just want you to expand because I know your clinical background here, but my observation, harsh self-criticism, self-punishment 
is also a learned behavior to some extent from the type of parenting. Oh, sure. So, yeah, we could be reliving all the things that we've been told. You'll never amount to anything. You don't have the skills to do it. What makes you think you're so good at that? I mean, we've layers and layers and years and years of those kind of words being Mm -hmm. pumped into our brains. So, but that would also take us to another part of the book because that would take us to chapter eight, which is the grief chapter. Hmm. And the key here is that that's not your life story. Someone else's view of you and how they behaved towards you, especially if it was negative and punitive and mean and cruel, then it's understanding that that didn't have anything to do with you. Mm -hmm. And it was never about you. So it didn't have anything to do with you. It was never about you. Yet you were impacted by it. And that third part is the most important thing for you to be paying attention to. It's to understand the impact and make sense of those life experiences and understand that it was never about you and you never caused it. And once you start to do that, you can start to separate yourself from all that negative priming, all those negative words that we potentially carry within us because of what we were told for months or years. So there's, again, there's a way to resolve that as well. And I'm going to wrap it up because we're coming at the end of our time. But the number one step to all of this is awareness. Yes, absolutely. Yes. The stepping stone to emotional mastery, to stopping the cycle of self-punishment and or anything you want to change in your life is awareness. Correct. If we can develop that, then we are, and that's why it's a self-discovery process. Emotional mastery is, is discovering ourselves through the process and who we truly are. Right. Yep. 100% with you. Awesome. So obviously the book is out there. The link to the book will be in the show note. And I believe you have free gifts for our listeners as well, right? Yeah, all they have to do is go to drjoanrosenberg.com, and doctor is D-R in front of my name, drjoanrosenberg.com forward slash gift. Perfect. So the link for that will be in the show note as well. As always, Joan, I love interviewing you. (laughs) Thank you. Because... We're aligned in the way we look at emotion and you bring such a light through your 40 years of clinical practice, right? Yes. And at the end of the day, you bring simplicity. And that's what I love about your approach. And the book is filled with simplicity as well, because it doesn't have to be complicated. No, no, it doesn't at all. Right. Yes. And the beauty of the whole thing is that confidence, resilience and authenticity are all things that we can learn. Yes. And when we proceed with this approach, we bring our emotional body in a state of balance, which will then, because the other three part of ourself is all interlinked, will help bring balance to our behavior and our thoughts and even with our connection with our intuition, right? Our spirituality. Yes, of course. Yes. So thank you very much for having been here with us today. Oh, thank you for having me. It's always a treat to be with you, Stephanie. There you have it, ladies. So, what do you think? Are you an emotional mastery wizard? Do you know how to ride the wave of your emotion? Did you even consider 
the role of how you handle your emotion in your body confidence. Isn't that crazy? How confidence actually starts within. That's why I always say, I can help you boost your confidence without having to lose a pound. Why? Because it's an inside job. So I would ask from you today that you take this information and sit on it, reflect on it, ask yourself the question, go get the book from Dr. Rosenberg, which by the way, I think you should all have, do the exercise and ask yourself, am I ready to do this work? Is that the work that I need to bring health back to my body? So we're closing with this episode, a four-part series on holistic health. And my goal with this series was to help you understand that there is an option to the current model of health that many of us and many of you are interacting with allopathic medicine, conventional medicine, that is treating the symptom. And diet falls into this approach of allopathic and conventional medicine. And holistic health is another option. It does require you going within, as you probably heard from all the teacher. It's an inside job, right? It's us going through a process of self-discovery, learning new skill, and then taking responsibility for our current state of health and being willing to work through those four different layers with tools that teachers or experts will teach you because we honestly have not been taught these approach in how we were raised. For most of us, we were raised in a traditional schooling system, in a traditional model of health. So everything we talked about in the last four episodes is all new. And I totally get that. It was new to me too. When I'm 36, I decided to take a step away from allopathic and conventional medicine. And I stepped into this world of natural health and holistic health. So I get it. But I hope through these last four episodes that I gave you some tools to explore each of those layers and invite you and inspired you to step into a holistic approach to whatever your struggle is today, whatever it is, I want you to know that there is another option. You're not doomed you're not stuck. It only requires you to have an open mind. And as some of my teacher will say, when you open your mind and you put yourself out there, the teacher will appear. And I hope that my four expert and myself were those teachers that appear for you and guided you through this model of health called holistic health. And that's how the going to be on the food method is based from a model that looks way past the physical body and look at finding the root cause in the three other layers of the human being. Now, we do have a kind of a fifth part to this series. The next podcast, Podcast 181, I'm going to bring in an expert on the nervous system because we, through this last four episodes, have not talked 
about the nervous system, though it is part of the emotional body, the mental body, and the physical body. So the nervous system interacts with those three other layers of the human body. It is not part of just one. The nervous system is how physically we interact those bodies. And it plays a tremendous role in our health. And I want to talk about that aspect that is not typically discussed in the context of holistic health. And though it has a tremendous impact, we kind of shied away in holistic health to talk about the nervous system. And I've studied it over the last two years in depth, and I improved my approach in the going to beyond the food method when I met this lady that I'm going to share with you, Irene Lyon. She's been on the podcast twice already. So we're bringing her in a third time, and we're going to dive into the interaction of the nervous system with our relationship to food in the context of holistic health. So stay tuned for that. We're going to release that next week, kind of a fifth part to this four-part series. I love you girls, and I look forward to hang out with you on the next episode. I really am starting to see myself as perfect, just, just the way that I am. It's the first time in my life that I realized that my self-sabotage was really fear of failure. For me, that's huge because I would have normally sat there and ate the whole bag. And I ate like two or three bites of it and threw it out. Because normally I would just sit there and shovel in the cake and go, oh, that was good. What's next? Sometimes I'll go into the kitchen. I'm going to eat a banana and I stop and I'm like, wait a minute, I'm not even hungry. Then I'll walk away from it and go on and it's over and done with. Do you eat for other reason than hunger? Maybe eating because you are stressed, frustrated, bored, or because you think you deserve it. I struggled with craving, overeating, and even binging on healthy food, no matter what diet I was on. Keto, paleo, organic, whole food, nothing stopped it. And maybe you feel the same. Tired of dieting, over-exercising, and yet another fad program. Or maybe you're overeating and binging and wish you could just be a normal eater. I thought I was alone. I was sick and tired of being a victim of my food urges. Who wouldn't be? Do you feel stuck with your eating and body right now? I want you to know one thing. You are not alone. You aren't broken. If food hasn't been going the way you've planned, know this. It is not your fault. Sadly, most women keep repeating the cycle of yo-yo dieting because they rely on old strategy like restriction, discipline, and the worst one of all, willpower. Perhaps you believe in eating more intuitively and would love to trust yourself around food, but are afraid of trying because, honestly, you just don't trust yourself. Or worse, you've tried before and you fail. So that's why I want to peel back the curtain and show you exactly how I changed my relationship to food and the one of my client going from overeating, binging, and emotional eating to food freedom. And quite frankly... 
It is completely different from anything you've heard before. Claim Your Food Freedom is a 21-day journey to dissolve the hidden blocks, the emotional blocks that keep you stuck and finally stop sabotaging yourself with food. Claim Your Food Freedom is a four-step mapping process that will take you from where you are now to food freedom. You see, everything will change the moment you are willing to see beyond the food and understand why you eat. It's about transforming why and how you eat so what you eat becomes easy, natural, and peaceful. Health, well-being, self-confidence, satisfaction, and success are all byproduct of you looking beyond the food to unlock your food freedom. Plus, I'll coach you on specific roadblocks that may get in the way from you being free from food. Probably the things that made you fail before. The constant hate on your body, the all or nothing attitude, aka perfectionism, fear of failure or even shame, and lastly, time management. If you are ready to step into a new version of yourself that eats normally and is at peace with food and maybe even your body, head over to www.claimyourfoodfreedom.com and I'll see you on the other side.